Keep it shiny, man. Keep it shiny. Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Today, we have our second ever fan-assisted guest, Terry Phelan. We do. Great to have Terry on board. What a lovely chap he proved to be, as is always the case with our guests, to be fair. What was particularly interesting about Terry is I felt as if I knew him before he came on the podcast. And this might sound strange, but fans of Monopoly might know what I'm talking about. So I've got two brothers. We're very competitive, certainly we're as children. We used to play Monopoly a lot. And on the specific board game we have, whenever you pass through the jail, the guy behind bars in the jail looked a lot like Terry Phelan. So when he came on the on the Zoom meeting, I was like, oh, Terry is like a, a long-lost friend. Like, I, I knew him. But yeah, what a legend. Can you tell us, Ketch, how you got him on the show? Because I actually don't know the story as yet. Well, technically, it was our second fan-assisted guest, as Hazel on Twitter alerted Neil Madison to our existence. Mm-hmm. And then we connected with Neil and got him on the show. But this time, one of our fans, Dan Sheridan, who regular listeners will remember, emailed us a story about rescuing Alan Nielsen's old trainers from a skip and then bumped into Alan 20 years later and relayed the story. That was a a tale we told on a past episode. Mm -hmm. Dan frequents a Facebook group that talks about 90s football and noticed that Terry Phelan was in some of the comments. Oh, that's wonderful. So he, he asked... Terry, if he'd be interested in appearing on the world's number one 1990s football sticker book podcast. And Terry said he was. Oh, wow. He's been so on two then... podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> number, number one in the Philippines. And yeah, uh, Dan then got his email for us. Amazing work. It, this is the kind of dedication we need from all our listeners, please. Mm-hmm. And he contacted me on Facebook. He said, I've got Terry Phelan's email address. So I emailed him straight away. And I'm going to read out the response I got back which had me a little bit worried at okay. first. So email Terry Phelan. Do you want to come on the show? This is what we're all about. He responded really, really quickly. And he said, Dear Matthew, thank you for your email. I am sure I can help you out with this requirement or request. Ooh. Full stop. Please, dot, dot, dot. I can do the show on Thursday, the 13th of May. Time would be 6.30pm India time. Terry is the technical director at South United in Bangalore, India. So this checked out. Um, This would be 2 p.m. your time in the UK. I do look forward to your feedback at the earliest. Yours, Mr. Terry Phelan, sent from my iPhone. (laughs) So I got that back. And just the way it was worded and the way it was formatted, I wasn't convinced this was Salford's Terry Phelan. I don't know what you thought, Richie, but I wasn't confident we had the right Terry Phelan. He was very polite, which I'm not saying that footballers aren't, but you know, if you compare this to Lee Dixon's, he was like, yeah, I'll come on the show, sent from my bike at the end of each email. <laughs> so to get this, which was like a letter from a court yeah. or something, it was a, a different yeah. story. The, it was so formal and so polite. I was like, this, is, this, is this Terry? Is this a, a 90s footballer? So we asked producer Joel to call the number that... Uh, the, the email had on it to uh, and to be fair Joel does this with most guests he'll call them in advance to prep them sort out the zoom and the recording and stuff so Joel had a phone call with him didn't connect on zoom so he couldn't see Terry but Joel came back to us and said if it's not Terry Phelan he's going to extreme lengths to prove otherwise <laughs> so I was I was more confident still not 100% confident no. but I was more confident we had the right Terry Phelan and so sure enough 
we connected and live from Bangalore, India, where he works as technical director for South United. We connected with Terry Phelan and it was definitely him. And we had an incredible three-hour chat, the edited highlights of which are coming up soon, listener. Mm, yes, we, we did have a sigh of relief when the real Terry Phelan joined us on the Zoom. Um, <laughs> now, there was a moment which I particularly enjoyed, as is always the case on these podcasts. Uh, you did it with Steve Jones. Um, it didn't make the edit, unfortunately, and nor would it have done because the audio was so bad. But you had another Steve Jones moment, though, where you had unearthed a detailed story about Jack Charlton, Republic of Ireland, only for Terry not to be involved in it. <laughs> you had an absolute gunter. It was glorious. <laughs> yeah, this is a nightmare. So I I, I found a story and I, I, I de- detailed research into the story, Jack Charlton Island story, and I knew Terry was a regular. This is in the mid-90s as well, not at the early part of the 90s or the late 90s. So I knew Terry was in nearly every island squad, found this amazing story, and I was dying to relay it to him and get his feedback on it. What happened? Was he there? And despite being an island regular at the time, he wasn't in the squad Mm. for the Euro 96 qualifiers Ireland played in June 1995. So I couldn't get his take on the Harry Ramsden's fish challenge story that I found. But as a little warm-up for the interview, I think I'm going to quickly tell you it now, Richie, because it's fantastically 90s. It's a cracking Jack Charlton tale, and I think you and the listeners are going to appreciate. So are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Cast your mind back to the summer of 1995. The season is over, 94-95, and uh, there's some um, Euro 96 qualifying to do before the players can officially go on the holiday. Ireland had drawn with Liechtenstein 0-0, and they had a vital match with Austria coming up at Lansdowne Road for Euro 96. And the night before, Jack Charlton took his ageing squad as they were getting getting on a bit, a few of them then. Mm-hmm. they took He took them out for a plate of chips at Harry Ramsden's, which was interesting because he was a shareholder in Harry Ramsden's. And uh, the, the team, the squad, competed in a promotional offer <laughs> at this chippy on the Nass Road in Dublin called Harry's Challenge. Uh, it was all over the papers the next morning and um, this challenge could have or probably did, contribute to Ireland not amassing enough points to qualify for the championships in an automatic spot. And they had to play, famously, Holland for a place in Euro 96. Mm. This is a Holland side whose backbone was made up of the 1995 Champions League winning Ajax side. Mm. They would play them at Anfield and lose and not make it to Euro 96. So I'm going to hand over the story to Niall Quinn, and I'm going to read from his autobiography. He recalls, We all shoveled into Harry Ramsden's, Hang Jack on. is a shareholder. No, you're, not, you're not doing the accent. I'm not going to bother with the accent, no, because oh. it's uh, it's a bit long, and you know we haven't oh, got all go on, go And on. I'm not going to insult Niall Quinn. No, you did you did with Paul McGrath, but okay. <laughs> Paul McGrath features in this actually, so okay. Here we go. Pretend I'm Niall Quinn. We all shuffled into Harry Ramsden's. Jack is a shareholder. Packy Barnett or Paul McGrath or somebody cut a ribbon and officially opened the place. <laughs> so, the night before the game, after a week of drink, I settled down to fish and chips. <laughs> Gary Kelly took the Harry Ramsden's challenge and ate a fish about a yard long and a mountain of chips and anything else they challenged him with. He thought there'd be a certificate, but he got a free dessert instead, (laughs) which he duly ate. Jack herded us out pronto. 20 minutes later, it's dusk at Lansdowne Road and we're waddling about the pitch, groaning, full of fish and chips, trying to do a training session the night before this must-win game. We're burping and farting and creased over with laughter. Our main thought was, it's been a happy era, and it's ending soon. 
<laughs> Sometimes you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. It was all over for Jack. So there's, oh. there's a real tragicomic element to that story, which is wonderfully 90s, wonderfully Jack Charlton. The post-90s game, I don't think it was built for Jack. That was just epitomised him. <laughs> and Ireland went on to lose to Austria and didn't make it to Euro 96, but amazing, isn't it? Can you just imagine that in the modern era? It's, and do you know what's really unfortunate for Jack Charlton? Is they've, you've already alluded to it, they've come up against a phenomenal Holland side, who of course England went on to beat in the, in the Euros 4-1, but as you said, man for man, they had an unbelievable team, so they weren't far off getting in, even with an ageing full of fish and ships team, but yeah, that's just, that's just great Jack, isn't it? And they weren't, they weren't played off the park by that Holland team, they, they, gave, a, they gave them a good game, fell, fell short and didn't qualify, so... Brilliant. I mean, we've got so many good stories from Terry Field about his career that we haven't heard the final edit at the time of recording this intro. As producer Joel is still wading through the hours and hours of audio that we captured from Terry all the way from India. So we're not 100% sure which stories have made it, listener, but whatever did, you're going to love it. Here comes from Salford to Bangalore via the Emerald Isle. It's Mr. Terry Field. Joining us today is a player who will be remembered fondly by fans of several clubs. His career took him to Yorkshire, Wales, London, Lancashire, North America, New Zealand, with regular trips to Ireland for international duty in between. He appeared on page number 22 of the 1997 book, sticker number 88, and he's speaking to us all the way from India, where he's now based. It's an honour to extend a big shiny welcome to Chelsea's Terry Phelan. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. It's absolutely uh, wonderful, yes, uh... This is something new, these sticker books back in the day. I don't think you really see them uh, actually now. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? And I'm sure all the, the youngsters of today would love to be able to collect them stickers and, you know, put them in the books, books. Because, you know, when I was younger, we had them back in my day and it was brilliant, absolutely mm. brilliant. Exchanging them at schools, you know, when you went to school, exchanging the stickers. I haven't got that. I need that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so absolutely <laughs> brilliant, yeah. Yeah, well, you can still get them. We've been doing the Champions League sticker book with our sponsors, Top, so you can still get them. Um, so if you do want to get back into it, Terry, we could probably hook you up with some stickers. <laughs> Great. You only played 15 times for Chelsea, so you probably aren't introduced as Chelsea's Terry Phelan very often. No, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I'd left Manchester City, obviously. Uh, I think it was... Uh, Round about 95, September 95, I'd left uh, Manchester City. Obviously, there was uh, having financial difficulties then and I didn't really want to leave Man City because it was a, a club I supported as a young boy and I could have signed for Manchester City as a 12-year-old but I opted to sign for Leeds and 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 obviously uh, go to Yorkshire with, uh, to Leeds United because we had more chance, you know, getting in the team. So anyway, basically, yeah, and I'd, I started off great under Glenn Oddle uh, absolutely brilliant, you know, and went all the way through. And then obviously Glenn left and, you know, Rude Hullet took over. Uh, and I was in and out, got one or two little injuries and in and out. And uh, I don't know, maybe Rude had other ideas. And I didn't want to be sit- sitting in the, the, the stand or on the bench, not being, uh, having an ego or nothing. But, you know, I, coming towards that end, that, you know, 29, 30, 31 years of age, I thought, listen, it's, you know, I'd like to... Uh, play, play regular. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed it at Everton, uh, sorry, at uh, Chelsea. Obviously, from there, I went to Everton, but it was absolutely brilliant. The yeah. fans was brilliant. I had some great uh, 
uh, times down there with uh, like the likes of Dennis Wise and Johnny Spencer and Frank Sinclair. Mm, well, actually, we ask every guest who comes on, can you name the other stickers on the page that you appeared on in the 1997 book? So this is 96, 97. There's 15 other stickers along with your sticker at Chelsea. How many others can you name? I think Mark Hughes would be on there. Yeah. Rude Hullett would be on there. Rude Hullett doesn't have a sticker. He's the manager. Dan Petrescu. Yes. Uh, there'll be Michael Dubry. Yes. Johnny Spencer has said, Dennis Wise. Mm-hmm. Both there. Frank LeBuff. Of course. Erland the Norwegian. Yes. Erland Johnson. Yeah, he's there. Dimitri, the goalkeeper. Corrine, of course. Yeah, let me think, let me think. One other keeper. Big Dave, uh, oh, Big Dave, centre-back. David Lee. David Lee. He doesn't have, doesn't have a sticker. No, he doesn't have a sticker, does he not? Uh, I tell you, the, the goalkeeper, oh, come on, the goalkeeper, tell <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, It's right on the tip of my tongue and all. Still in football. Listen, how many have I got up to now? You've got eight and nine, including yourself. So there's six more to get. Six more to get. Oh, okay, then. Uh, left back, the left back, uh, Andy Myers. Yes. Uh, Andy Myers and the other left back who played... No wonder he didn't play much if there was three left backs. Zola, Zola's in there, isn't it? He comes later in the season. Is, is he in? He's not in there, though. No, not, not yet. Viali's not in there. Yeah, he is. Viali's in there. Yeah. Four more to uh, go, I think. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo's must be in there. Yes. Eddie Newton must be in there. Eddie Newton's got to be in there. He doesn't have a sticker. He doesn't have a sticker. Eddie no. Newton. <laughs> word. <laughs> uh, I can't believe Eddie Newton hasn't got a sticker. He's one of the best players about. You're missing a couple of you're missing a couple of Scottish chaps. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've got uh, Clarkey, the right back, Clarkey, yeah. Clarkey, Clark. and and yeah, Steve Clark. And midfield would be he does a lot for TV in America now. Oh, come on, yes, good yes. friend. Of mine. <laughs> give, give me, give me uh, Charlton. Correct. Correct. He does a lot in in America now. His initials are CB. Played in played in midfield. Mm-hmm. Oh, Craig Burley, yeah, Craig. Yeah. I should have that one. That's that's disgusting. Good friend of yours. <laughs> that's disgusting. How many have we got now? Must be up Four, there. That's fourteen. You can't. It's a subkeeper you need. The subkeeper. I think he's missing a fullback as well. No, I've got. A, there's a fullback. Uh, Pres- presenter on Sky. Got got Minto. Yes. Yes. Got Minto. Look, I'm doing great, aren't I? That's and, it. Uh, <laughs> the last, the last one. The yeah. mad goalkeeper, mad goalkeeper. I, 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 where's he, he now? Yeah, he's as mad as a hatter. Oh, I think he's. Oh, he was. He went. He was with Matt Hughes, and not. No, was he with Matt Hughes? No, when he travelled to clubs. No. Oh, you're gonna have to give me. I, I forgot. Kevin Hitchcock. God damn it! Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> Was he mad? I didn't realise. It's always the same, isn't it? It's always the same, you know. Great effort, though. You were you were desperate to get them all. And you, you were very close. That is a great I've effort. Got, I must have I must have got thirteen. Yeah, you were right up there. I just love the passion that you were. You were some players aren't as keen very, to get every player as you, but you you were brilliant. And very very listen, appreciate you've got to, you've got, listen, you've got to give 100 percent. It's no good <laughs> if you're not going to be in it for the for the for the win. It's a waste of time. 
Mm. Just shows you my passion, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, you've already mentioned that you started your career off with Leeds, but grew up in Salford originally. Uh, we had Ian Hart on a couple of weeks ago. You don't sound quite the same as Ian Hart in terms of your accent. Can you give us your background, how you ended up playing for Ireland and, and how you got into football in the first place? Yeah, and I did an interview uh, a couple of days ago regarding this. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, all my family's from Sligo, little place uh, called Trouble Curry, and the, the, you know, the, out on the west coast of uh, Ireland there, you know, on that, that cold Atlantic coast, you know. Uh, so, obviously... You know, my mother and her sisters and uncles, you know, decided to hit the, the big lights of London and, and Manchester and they ended up just settling in Manchester, you know, back in their day. And that was basically it. But, uh, you know, when, when I started playing football as a young boy, I'd always wanted to play for Ireland because it was always Irish music around, you know, we'd always be over in Ireland, you know, trips over to Ireland five or six times a year. No, so it was absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, but I was always going to play for Ireland, you know. And when my mother turned around and says, you know, when I started getting, you know, to the stages where clubs started coming looking at me, it was like, you know, by the way, Terry, you know, which country would you like to play for? And I had no hesitations. It was always going to be Ireland anyway. So, you know, it, it just boils down to me, my mother's side uh, more than anything. And, you know, obviously, granddad and nana uh, being Irish and, you know, probably as Irish as the, if, if I go over to Ireland, you know, yes, I don't speak, you know, the, the same lingo, but I'm as Irish as them over in Ireland. I know the heritage, I know what it's all about. Uh, and, you know, it was a chance, you know, when you're when you when you growing up and you're watching people like Liam Brady, you know, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'd love to play for uh, for Ireland. So, yeah, mm -hmm. and that, that, that happened, actually. And of course, before all that, you were picked up by Leeds. How how did you get spotted by Leeds in the first place? Uh, obviously, playing for my local uh, club, Broughton Juniors, uh, playing for the school. You know, back then you had your scouts trawling all over Manchester, uh, and I got the chance to play for Salford Boys. Uh, so you know, playing for Salford Boys again. You know, you're playing against the likes of Manchester Boys. Uh, you know, Liverpool Boys. You know, you're playing against all these. You know, top young young lads who are obviously going to be getting picked up through uh, mm -hmm. for the for the top clubs around. But uh, I remember just being at home and you know, scouts upon scouts and uh, managers upon managers just coming to the house. And my mother was like, you know, I think my mother was great because she enjoyed all the chocolates and all the flowers. <laughs> to tell you the truth, God, God bless her. You you did break into the first team there, but quite early on you were released by then-manager Billy Bremner. How did he break the news to you? Well, it was it was a little bit sad, to tell you the truth, because, you know, I'd done ever so well. And, you know, I, I, you know it was, uh, you know, I played well in, in most of the games. Yeah, you know, I was there, I worked hard, just like you see me working hard for that quiz then, uh, you know, <laughs> done, done me a little bit. And, you know, it's... You know, you're just finding your feet at 18, 19 years of age. You're just finding your feet. And, you know, it was, you know, coming to the office. Uh, listen, we're releasing you. Uh, I, you know, I asked the question, why? Well, we think you're too small. But I said, Gaffer, you know, you played in some of the best lead sides in the, you know, late late 50s, 60s, 70s. You played in midfield and you're, you're a lot smaller than me. And, you know, I, I can't understand it. I said, play me left wing if you don't think I'm a... A good enough for left back. 
But all the other managers thought I was good at left back. But that's just managers chasing it at the end of the day. Uh, I think if I was playing now when I was 18, 19 years of age, I'd probably be playing in the first team now uh, with the attributes I did have, you know. Uh, but obviously, he, he didn't really see them attributes or he didn't see me fitting into his plans, which is okay, you know. And then I had to reset the mind again. I went back home. I didn't even tell me mum I was released. I was that embarrassed to tell you the truth. I thought, well, what do we do now? Uh, mm. And it wasn't before. It wasn't long before other clubs call come calling, uh, and another old Leeds and Manchester City uh, assistant manager and manager brought me down there, and that was Terry Yorath and uh, Tommy Hutchinson brought me to Swansea, which was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you had a, obviously a great season with Swansea because it wasn't long before Wimbledon came in knocking. Yeah, I, I, I only had one season at Swansea. I really enjoyed it down at the Vetch, Vetch field. The fans was magnificent. And it was, it was about proving a point. It was about proving a point that, you know, uh, I'm not going to be washed up at 19 years of age and, and 18, 19 years of age and be put on a scrappy. That was never going to happen. It wasn't in me DNA. Uh, I went down there and Terry and Tommy just says, listen, uh, just, just play the game, what we've brought you there to do. And basically... I just ran up and down, you know, I was exciting. I got the crowd off the feet uh, and I was non-stop. And I think I played 45 games. I think I was suspended for the game of them. Uh, if I'm right there, I think I was suspended. So 45 games was bad. And I come back after pre-season. This is the funny thing. I come back after pre-season and I sort of like went in the office and uh, Terry Off says, listen, we're giving you a two-year contract. I said, Fantastic. Brilliant. I must have done really well. And we're giving you a pay rise and all. And that was, I mean, that was like uh, phenomenal money down then, them days. You know, I was like, bloody hell, this is absolutely fantastic. Then two weeks later, he says, oh, we're selling you. I don't need to sign the contract. <laughs> he said, where, where am I going? And he went, we're sending you to Wimbledon. Said, Wimbledon? I said, I'm not going there to play uh, uh, tennis, Terry. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what, what, you, what you're on about? And he went, no, they, have, they do have a football club. And I scoured everywhere and I couldn't find a football club. You know, because listen, there was a, we didn't have the uh, the tools we have now with all these different platforms and, you know, social media and that. And, you know, I just spoke to one or two people and said, yeah, they have, they've got a, and, and they're called a crazy gang and they really are crazy. And it took me six months to settle in there because these lads was really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> quiet lad, a humble, quiet lad. And it took me six months to really, really settle down there. Six long months it took me because the things I used to see, it was like unbelievable. Like, it's two, there's two ways this can go. I can join them or not join them. If I don't join them, then I don't think I'm going to have an happy time. So I had to join. I had to join the gang. And I was one of the quiet ones. Obviously, they knew I'd played for Leeds and Swansea. So I had a good track record. And not a lot of things used to happen to me. You know, because I had a bit of a trap. They, they held me as a high, higher, you know, up in the higher ranks, like, you know, like a sergeant major or a, a lieutenant or somewhere like that. So they didn't really mess about with me too much because they were quite quiet. But, uh, you know, Vinnie Jones, Dennis Wise, Alan Carp, mm. uh, Vinnie, you know, uh, John Fashionew. And then you had the quiet ones like Laurie Sanchez, Terry Gibson. I remember Terry Gibson coming from Manchester United. I think it was Manchester United. So Coventry to Manchester United, I think. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was Man United. It was Man United. I think he come for 650 grand. And I remember him walking in and he couldn't believe it. And there was John Scales there who couldn't believe it. So there was a few of us there who was just like, 
gobsmacked with the things what used to go on. So well, we had Neil Sullivan on the show, and he said he saw some things that were so unbelievable he couldn't describe them to us or or speak about them publicly. Are you in the same boat? Was it like too crazy to even talk about again? Listen, I mean, when it when it was crazy, it was crazy. I mean. I, instance like we're going to a hotel, beautiful hotel, everything would be nice, you know, be in a lovely restaurant, and somebody would get a, a, a roll and put a blob of butter on it, and they'd throw it, and it'd hit you in the head. You know, you'd have this <laughs> roll with a blob of butter on it, and that'd be, there'd be a food fight then. And they'd be jump over the place. You know, there'd be rolls and butter, anything you could get, you'd be thrown at different tables. And, and you'd just sit there, and you, and, you know, you didn't duck. It was that was it. And if you left your key on the on the table, went to the toilet, and your key was gone, you was in dire trouble because you didn't know if your bedroom was going to turn up. <laughs> you didn't know where your clothes was going to be. You didn't know what you'd find in your bed or in your salt bag. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you just always you just always on guard all the time. That that was the beauty of it. Uh, but you know what? We all mucked in and. You know, we, we made history, didn't we? We went and won the FA Cup final in 1988. Mm-hmm. So when you signed for Wimbledon, just going back to that, did you have any dealings with Sam Hamang? Because we've heard one or two funny stories about him. Oh, yeah. Sam Sam was Sam was just as, as mad as they come. He was madder than madder. You know, I mean, he, I mean, listen, you know, he had a card school and there'd be Dennis Wise, Alan Cork playing, Vinnie Jones playing, maybe one or two others playing. And, you know, if you ran out of money... Uh, you'd play for your clothes. <laughs> so Sam would always join in. Sam would always, Sam, <laughs> Sam, multi-millionaire, but never, ever got any money kind of thing, you know? And, you know, he'd be always running out of money because the lads would be, you know, uh, beating him at the cards and he'd always stick in there. So they'd say, well, you haven't got no money, so you have to give us something. He said, well, what do you want to take? I haven't got nothing. So Dennis Wise would probably turn around and say, well, we'll cut half of your tie off. We'll cut half of your your sleeve off, we'll cut a collar off, we'll cut half of your trousers off. And Sam would be going into these grounds, you know, half a sleeve gone, half a tie gone, collar gone, half of his pants gone, his socks gone, <laughs> maybe a bit of his laces have gone. And he'd be walking into the, I remember him, I think we played Aston Villa and his clothes was, you know, uh, there was nothing left of him. And he had to borrow a tracksuit to go up to the uh, chairman's uh, room. He had to actually borrow a tracksuit. So I do remember that. And, you know, he'd come in in the morning and go, right, who's going to have me a race? You know, Terry, you're the one of the fastest. I'll have a race with you. And I'd be like, <laughs> all right, but, but you have to wear waders. You have to carry a fishing rod, a fishing net, a hat. And then you're going to have to race me. Plus, you have to give me like a uh, 15 metre start to the end of the pitch, you know, uh, we're playing for 300 pounds, you know, and 300 pounds was a lot of money then, you know, so just funny things like that. Uh, is there any footage of that existing today? <laughs> you raced after that. Could you imagine? And I, and I'd be like, and it'd be, got, it'd be like, yes, but we're going to have the race on a Friday. And I'm like, well, I've got a game on a Saturday. What about if I pull a hamstring? No. It's on a Friday. So we ended up, we ended, we did end up having a race and I did end up beating him. But I had to start 10 yards behind the uh, the byline and he started 10 yards in front of the 18-yard box to the end of the pitch. I still beat him anyway. Mm. I'm still waiting for my money, Sam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
think it's probably a good point to move on to the, uh, the story of that that season then. So the, the season you joined, uh, which is is uh, eighty eight eighty nine, obviously that's the season that you finished seventh in the league, and you win the FA Cup versus Liverpool. Which I was born in eighty five, but that feels like the most iconic FA Cup in in memory. It's the one that seems to be the most talked about. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you're growing up as a kid, and like we talked about growing up in Salford, uh, you know, and you, my first FA Cup final I watched was 1976. Uh, I think it was uh, Southampton and Manchester United. Uh, and, at, you know, at the end of the day, it was just about football. And then going out on the streets and, you know, you know, playing uh, football on the streets and, you know, having a game of Wembley. Anybody my age would know you, you have a game of Wembley. And there's probably 400 kids there, you know, it goes on for days and days and days and days. You know, if you're first out, you still have to wait about four or five days before you play again. It was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, uh, but Liverpool, when I was growing up, Liverpool, I mean, I'm a Mad Man City fan, but Liverpool was the team to watch because you played some fantastic football and they was always in Europe and this and that. And, you know, you think to yourself, oh, I'd love to play at Wembley one day in front of 100,000 people. But I never thought I'd actually play at Wembley with Wimbledon, to tell you the truth. You know, uh, but then we started believing ourselves, you know, when we got to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, bang, we're there. Then we're playing against this team who had, who had watched in 1977 against Manchester United. And I'm thinking, wow, well, that, we're walking down the tunnel, we're having our banter, and I'm looking across... Don't forget, we'd already played against them anyway in the old first division, so it was nothing new. But this was a special team. They'd already won the league. This was a special team with world-class players, you know, and if they would have been, obviously, uh, I mean, they could have they could have went to the heights of the heights. They could have won uh, the European Cup back then or the Champions League year in, year out, the team they had. But it was just about us going there, not being frightened and, you know, Laurie Sanchez gets on the uh, the end of Dennis Wise's beautiful cross and it's in the back of the net, you know, and history's made. Dave Bessant goes and uh, saves a, a wonderful penalty from my ex-Island uh, teammate, John Aldridge. So, yeah. you know, looks on your side and all that. I remember the um, ca- cameras being on the bus. I can remember Dennis Wise being interviewed when they used to do, like the FA Cup used to take over TV on a Saturday back in the day. That's not the case anymore, is it, unfortunately? No, it, it's not, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know. It, it, listen, it was great because, and it's iconic, cause like, like I said before, when you're watching it as a, uh, a young boy and you, you, you're seeing the buses and you're seeing the cameras on each bus and you're having a little bit of banter and, and this and that, it was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, uh, it doesn't happen now, but back mm-hmm. then it was unique, wasn't it? It, mm-hmm. was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was about that day from yeah. you got up in the morning till late at night, it was about that day. And every boy was out there with his football, no matter who supported, uh, you know, getting ready to watch St. Greavesy uh, and watch that wonderful uh, spectacle of, you know, the FA Cup finals. And the FA Cup finals was unique back then. The old Wembley, 100,000 people there. It's absolutely fantastic, you know. And I know now it's a different era, but uh, I guarantee you, the new Wembley with 80,000 in or the old Wembley of 100,000 in could be the old Wembley any day. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. there's history there, you know, and the, the players will have graced that field and all, you know, for 100 years or so. Yeah. What can you tell us about the celebrations after that day? 
Well, I mean, I, I, I know we went back to, uh, I think we went back to Plough Lane. Yeah, we went back to the Plough Lane and we, we had a big marquee tent. Well, we stayed in the hotel the night before and we had a, a couple of uh, Guinnesses the night before and to relax, you know, a couple of wines just to wind down and relax. Uh, <clears throat> game of pool, went down to the local local pub. It was in Wimbledon Village, very posh, you know. Uh, we watched him have our track suits on and people say, are you not playing in the cup final tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, but we'll just come out to just relax and have a, you know, not go mad, but just, just it's more relaxing, a game of pool, a game of darts. And that was what it was about more than anything. But uh, yeah, I think afterwards we went back to the hotel, celebrated at the hotel, danced around the FA Cup. I think I've got a picture somewhere with everybody dancing around the FA Cup. And then the FA Cup was just left on the floor. Is it right? We've, we've seen you, we've had you, we've done enough now. You're just there. And it's just basically on the floor. People are walking around it, not disrespecting it, but, you know, treating it with respect. And, you know, we conquered that one. And then we went back to Plough Lane, big marquee. And it was, it was just a, a wonderful night, a wonderful, I wouldn't say wonderful night, a wonderful few weeks yeah. <laughs> that was your last season at Plough Lane before moving in 1991 season to a ground share with, with Crystal Palace at Sellers what was that like as an experience to move grounds was it weird for the players well it, it I mean listen it was weird in the sense that you know we didn't get a lot of supporters down at uh, Plough Lane you know uh, and the supporters we did get was absolutely fantastic let's not take nothing away from the supporters without supporters we see that now the game's completely different and it was strange because you go into Sellers Park, I don't know, 30, 30, 35,000 uh, seated stadium, maybe more. And, you know, then, you know, Wimbledon and Crystal Palace, the two South London clubs, you know, the rivalry wasn't there. And then, you know, Wimbledon uh, supporters didn't want to travel because it, it was a nightmare to get to if you lived on, you know, the Wimbledon side, <clears throat> the traffic and that. And it was awful strange because there wasn't a lot of supporters there. You know, you played against Man United, Liverpool, they would bring most of the supporters down, the, the bigger teams. Uh, when you played against the smaller teams, it was it could have been a, a little bit dull. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was all, all, all about winning games. And by this time, the, the game started to change. You've obviously moved to a more slightly modern stadium and the Premier League begins in, in 1992. Did it feel different? Did that register with the players? Well, I mean... You know, at the end of the day, like I said before, you're still playing in the league. You know, you're still, you're still got to go out there and compete 11 v 11. Uh, but it was just, you know, I think newer players started coming into Wimbledon then and the old regards started leaving, you know, and getting sold for an hell of a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> don't forget, when we played away from home, you know, you'd have big crowds there, you know, and we could do, we could do our stuff. We felt more pressure at home at Sellers Park than we did away from home to tell you the truth. So after five years, you were there for, it was a significant part of your career, but then the dream move comes up. You're a City fan, they come in for you, they equal the British transfer record for a defender. You must have been in absolute dreamland. Well, yeah, but listen, uh, you know, when, when you know, we, I had a few arguments with Sam on, on this one about the transfer fee. I didn't think I was worth two and a half million pounds. Simply that, I thought it was worth one and a half million. You know, I don't think I was worth that. No, obviously, other people seen it differently. But, you know, when someone like Barcelona comes in for you and wants to pay a million and a half, you know, uh, 
Spurs, you know, Glasgow Rangers, uh, Everton, Manchester United. You know, they was all sniffing for that million and a half. Uh, Crystal Palace, two and a half million. Uh, and I think, no disrespect, I ended up playing for Palace later on. It was great, but I needed to get away and, and, and test myself again. And obviously at the last hour, I get a phone call and Peter Reid, Man City comes in at the last hour. Uh, and I'm thinking, wow, I'd rather go or stay. You know, I'm, I'm going to Manchester City. There was no, there was no hesitation. You know, I grew up, my first, my first shirt was a blue and white shirt, uh, Man City shirt. I got off the neighbour uh, because they didn't want it. Because obviously I think their, I think their sons was Manchester United uh, fans and they didn't want it. I think, I think their mum and dad brought the wrong shirt over. So I snatched it off them. I said, I'll have that. And then running around in Manchester or in Salford with a blue and white shirt on, you have to be awful fast. And that's probably where I got my quickness <laughs> from, running away from all the night supports all the time. But no, it, it, it was great. And Peter Reid, he laid it down, he laid the blueprint down. This is who we're going. He went and bought Keith Curl, obviously. Uh, and I thought, yeah, this is great. We had players like uh, David White there, Tony Colton, Big Now Quinn, Irish teammate, like I said, Keith Curl. Uh, Steve McMahon was in there he could still do a bit in there Maca, even though I used to give him a little bit of stick from the 1988 tackle from Vinny he used to get uh, rattled about it <laughs> Gary Flickcroft you know and you know young players like Michael Sheeran coming through Andy Hill uh, Ian Brightwell Dave Brown we had you know we had Andy Dibble we had a, a nucleus of players there and he was building something and he was, he was saying listen I'm going to add this I'm looking at getting Matthew Letizia I'm looking at getting Ian Wright you know, we're looking to go for it. You know, when when you spend five million or more on two defenders from Wimbledon, people eyebrows was raised. Hang on a minute, what? But I don't think Keith Curl ever let them down, and I certainly never let Manchester sit down and the fans every time I played. So it was a dream move. And I remember somebody saying to me, a reporter, you know, do you not think you're overpriced? And I says, Yeah, I'm overpriced at two and a half million. But what can I do that? He said, Is the pressure on you of your price tag? I said there was pressure on me when I went to Wimbledon for 90,000. There was pressure on me when I went to Swansea for nothing. There's always going to be pressure on you as a football player. Uh, but, you know, it was absolutely, it was absolutely a, a wonderful time uh, for me personally, playing for a, a, a team you supported. And I wanted to stay there for the rest of my life. And that was it. I, you know, I thought, right, this is it now. You know, I don't want to be moving again. I want to stay here. But obviously, you know, and I know with football clubs, uh, it didn't happen. And managers, and I, I think every time I sort of like went to a club, if you look back in history, the managers already always got sacked. I don't know if that was me. <laughs> or, I don't know. Um, speaking of managers, so Peter Reid at this point is is player manager. What what were your first impressions of him? Oh well, I played him against Peter, you know, on many occasions, and you know, I, I liked him. I liked the way he went about things. I loved his attitude. Uh, you know, no nonsense, even in training. Uh, Peter was great and he's still a great friend of mine now. Anytime I go back to Manchester, he lives up in West Hart and I, I try and catch up with him, uh, have a glass of wine with him. He's absolutely fantastic. And like, like again, you know, for somebody to come in and pay two and a half million for you, he must have seen something in you, you know, and uh, it, it was great. And it was just, it was just a great person. You, you never wanted to let him down, to tell you the truth. You just wanted to, you know, play the best for him uh, because he could have he could have chopped that money up and spent it somewhere else. Uh, but he trusted in what he was getting and hopefully I never let him down on the field. But when he played, I used to love watching him play because he was still a little bit slower, 
but going into tackles, the, the tackles wouldn't be allowed now, you know. But he was even at his age then getting into tackles, smashing into people, and he just played the ball simple outside the foot, inside the foot, over, through, around, you name it. He was just absolutely a, a leader, and he had Steve McMahon beside him and all, who was who was a a tough old character. Mm. Did you ever collide with Reedy in training? Oh yeah, on plenty of occasions. But he, you know what he used to do? He used to pick you up, dust you down, or we'd pick him up and dust him down. There was no, there was no malice. It was like training. That's how he wanted it. He wanted it tough. He wanted it rugged. He wanted people to get stuck in, but he wanted 110%. But yeah, you got stuck into him, like, you know. Uh, uh, but like, great, great fella. Great mm. fella. I, I, listen, I, I don't have any, I wouldn't have, I I, I, I hold him up there in high regards uh, as, as a person, as a manager, as a friend. Absolutely wonderful. So you finished ninth in that season. You reached the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. It's an okay season, but the following year it unravels a bit and Peter Reid sacked after four games. And then the club make a fairly low-key appointment. Brian Horton comes in, having left Oxford. Yeah, yeah. Listen, when you when you sign for a club for that type of money, two and a half million, and, and they show you a blueprint and you sit down with the, the owner, uh, Peter Swells, a great fella, you know, know his family very well and, you know, for him, you know, Man City always paid big, big money, big transfer fees. Uh, Trevor Francis, uh, Steve Daly, a million. Trevor Francis, a million. You look at the, the money you did spend to tell the truth to to get him there. Uh, and I, I was very disappointed when Peter left. I really, it was like my left leg had been cut off to tell the truth. I was really disappointed because I just mentioned the teams I probably could have went to for less money. And you go, you go to my home team, and you wanna, you wanna emulate what Manchester United are doing. You know, I know it was difficult, but you, that, that's what he was building, you know. Uh, and he's seen it at Everton, what he did at Everton, you know, as a player, what Howard Kendall did. So I think, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a sad day that. And for some unknown reason, he, he just got, he got sacked. And, I, mm. you know, I, 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 was, I was gutted me. I, I, that really, it put a dent in me that because it was, you know, I, I don't know why, but, it was just, you know, you, you're going to build something up and then, bang, it's just, it's just gone uh, for mm. no reason at all. I mean, it wasn't as if it was playing bad four games in. Mm. Let, let's be honest, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, obviously, Brian comes in. Brian, uh, you know, Brian's done his bit as a manager. But, you know, I think the lads was really down. You yeah. know, I think the lads was really down, to tell the truth. And, you know, no disrespect to Brian. He tried. He tried his hardest. Uh but I think the lads was was just so down after Reedy went, and then we expected somebody of a you know uh, a, a stature to come in, and it, and it never happened. Mm. You know, it never really happened. And you know, you still have to go out and play because you have to play for the fans and you have to play for yourself. And you know, we 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 never let ourselves down. We never let the fans down. That's what we did. Yeah. The, the club was in a little bit of turmoil, and all to tell the truth, you know, there was talk about new owner coming in. Players was coming and going. It was it was, it was a little bit of a mess to tell the truth. But you know what? For every City fan out there, they uh, stayed there. They stuck by us. And you look at Manchester City at this present moment. In this season, Niall Quinn got injured. The team struggling for goals. So Horton makes some attacking reinforcements in February. At bottom of the leagues, so he brings in Paul Walsh, Peter Beagri, and a soon-to-be club icon Uwe Rosler. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. Uh... Wonderful signings, you know, Peter Beagery, he'd he, he done it at uh, Everton. 
you know, he, <clears throat> I remember Pete played in front of me and I'd, I'd just give him the ball and say, Peter, you know, we knew he was going to chop a million times and whip the ball in. But I think some of the times the strikers was getting a bit frustrated with him because he chopped one way, chopped the other way. The strikers would be going in, out, in, out. I'd say, Pete, just get out your feet, get it in the box. Or give it to me as I'm going on an overlap and I'll get it in the box. But, you know, Peter did very well. Good good lad. Uwe Rossler scored his ratio goals. Struggled when he first come in, to tell the truth. Uh, struggled to command that respect of, of the players. You know, uh, especially in training when it got a bit tough. You know, it was a different kettle of fish, uh, different battle on that training field. And, you know, we was battling for survival. Uh, little Walshy, little what? I mean, little Walshy had been there, seen it and done it, hadn't he? You know, to tell you the truth. Uh, so, you know, signings, you know, for me, uh, they work well. You know, I just don't think uh, we had enough time. Mm. That's really interesting what you say about Uwe Rosler because obviously now he's in the City's Hall of Fame. But to start with, they took him on trial, then alone, then they signed him perm, and now you're obviously saying that it took him a while to settle what with the lads. It surprises me because he seems quite hard nosed from from you know his managerial career anyway. Well, yeah, you, 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 listen, you have to adapt, don't you? When you're going on the other side of the white line, you're adapting, aren't you? You've got to deal with different situations and different uh, personalities when you're a manager. But when you're a player, <clears throat> you really struggle to command that respect uh, because, you know, in training, we got stuck into each other. There was, no, there, was, there was no messing about. And I think that's where he struggled. You know, well, we don't do this in training. We've got to respect each other in training. In training, you, you, you're training, oh, we don't hurt each other in training. But that, that's fine. You know, that's the way uh, the cookie crumbles at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, for me, I trained how I played. And that was it. I give 100% and train probably probably too, too hard, if that's what they say. But that, that was just us and that was other players and all. But, you know, he went on to do very well, like he says, in the Hall of Fame of Man City. scored his ratio of goals. He's done his bit as a manager and all. He's done his travelling and, you know, you've got to respect the man for that. And, you know, yeah, you have to be a little bit hard-nosed when you're on the other side. And I'm a technical director here in, in Bangalore and in India for South United Football Club. You have to, you know, you, you're, the, you're the gaffer then. You, you know, you've got to lay the law down a little bit. When I think of Rossler, I just picture his shirt celebration where he would twirl the shirt around his head when he scored. Did the players ever take the mickey out of him for that? Did he ever do it in training? Yeah, they just said, get some abs, get some muscles, you Uwe. You know, they're not, they're not like the lads today, are they all built up like uh, tanks? But uh, no, listen, you can enjoy yourself. And, you know, that was where he'd been celebrating and enjoying himself and, you know, making a mark because he, he was a city icon. Let's not take that away from him. Another player I wanted to ask you about, Terry, was Paul Lake, who... I read his book. It's amazing. The book I would recommend any listeners to to read. I'm not really here. For people who don't know Paul Lake, he was widely regarded as the predecessor to Brian Robson, very highly fancied and in the fringes of the England squad. Then his career was ruined by cruciate knee injuries. He kept doing his knee. Tell us about Paul because he sounds like a really, really special player. Well, obviously, when I arrived at Manchester City uh, and before that, you know, uh, Lakey was a talk of, you know, going to be better than Gascoigne. He's going to captain England. And this was this was a boy we had to, you know, watch out for. You know, six foot two, frame on him, you know, no problems, quick, strong. He could do anything. And, and just a lovely, soft-natured guy, you know. Uh, always had a laugh and a joke, uh, Lakey. You know, and 
you know, you go into the treatment room, you'd see him in there. Listen, I, I, I've been where Lakey, Lakey was. I was injured at Everton for 18 months. But, you know, when you're injured, you're sort of like forgotten about a little bit. You know, the only people that sort of like remember you, remember you is the weight room and then lifting them weights and the running track and the stands countless and countless of times because you do, you do get missed. But I, I tried to go in there all the time, just, you know, have a word with him, see how he was, maybe get a cup of tea with him and, you know, if he was ever going out, have a pint with him. Absolutely brilliant player. And obviously he tried to come back on numerous occasions, but I just don't think... Uh, it, uh, maybe he come back too too early with the knee. I don't really know what went on with it, but uh, uh, obviously cruciate ligament ACL. Now Quinn had two of them. Now Quinn ends up playing, you know, and, and many others. Maybe, uh, we don't know, but i tell you something now. He would have been one of the best midfield players England probably would have ever seen if he would have gone on and, and, and played further. No doubt. No doubt about it. He could he could control a game. Even in his younger days, he could control it. And he didn't play a lot when I was there. He played one or two games and he really, really struggled. I think we played against Coventry. I'm not too sure. And you could see the signs then, you know. And he wasn't even 100% fit. He was nowhere near fit. But you could see the signs then. But uh, good lad. Good lad, Lakey. I'll have to get the book and all. I will read his book. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. So moving into the next season, um, Alan Ball takes over from Brian Horton, obviously World Cup winner, experienced manager. Can you remember, did you know Alan before or can you remember meeting him for the first time? What kind of impact did he have on the squad? Well, I do remember his, intra- his entrance into the into the meeting room. Well, I do know that. And listen, you know, you know, I played under somebody who else won a World Cup and that was Jack Charlton. Uh, great, great man for Ireland and wonderful personality. Uh <clears throat> Obviously, Alan come in, you know, he, he'd, he'd, he'd been around, he'd been at a nucleus of managers' jobs and that. And he come into Man City uh, and I remember, basically, he turned around and says to us, do you know who I am? We had the meeting, we all said yes. Uh, do you know what happened in uh, 1966? We all said yes. He said, well, that's all I need to say. Uh, and... and, and, and and that was it then. That was, you know, you respect people, uh, you know, yeah, for what they've done, through the R and, and for where they've been and for the games they've played. And a great player, Alan Ball, don't get me wrong. Uh, but when, when, when you're coming with a group of lads of international players, no, we haven't won the World Cup, but played in World Cups and played in major tournaments and that, you know, you wouldn't expect that. You know, we don't need to be told who he was. We already knew who he was and we was expecting him to bring something magical to, uh, obviously, to Main Road and, and, and you know, really change it around and, and get things going. Uh, but I think yeah. some of the lads just lost a little bit of respect when, when that was said, yeah. to tell the truth. Yeah, he did bring one thing magical to Main Road and that was George Kinkladzi. Oh, George, listen, Georgie, Georgie, come, we, all, we, all, we always knew when he was training, he was absolutely brilliant, quiet lad, shy lad, but Georgie, do you want the ball today? Just give me the ball, he'd say, just give me the ball, and you give him the ball in training and on the field, it was, uh, you know, it, it was sad because I would have loved to have played longer with Georgie. Noel Gallagher is a huge City fan and he had a great description of King Cladsey, he said he's either the most frightening thing I've ever seen or the best thing I've ever seen. Did Noel not watch me? Did he not watch me? Is he forgetting? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, if you're watching this, come on. No, but no, yeah, listen, at the end of the day, uh, Georgie was absolutely fantastic. Uh, could do anything on that, like, give him that, get that ball on the left foot. But I used to show him on, in train, I used to show him on to his right foot and he wasn't that clever. But no, absolutely brilliant, brilliant player. Brilliant player. Did you ever meet Liam or Noel? They were on their way to becoming the biggest band in the world at the time and were huge City fans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've met them on many occasions. Many, many occasions. Met them in London. Met them all over. I had a, a couple of pints with them. I had a couple of nights out with them. I'll save that. I'll save that for another day. <laughs> we'll, do, let's, we'll do a whole podcast on that one. I'll say I'll say that I'll save that for another day when we talk about bands, Manchester bands and that. Oh, I've met a few of a few of the lads, but uh listen, great lads, great Manchester lads, iconic band, best band in the world. Uh obviously we still love them to get together now, uh and stop being at each other's throats and get that band together and start singing again and uh make music how it should be. But absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I had uh, a couple of nights out of, out with them in, in London. Yeah, absolutely brilliant with uh, Liam. Liam especially, great lads. Note to listener, Terry Phelan's face lights up when you talk about Oasis and nights out with them. <laughs> That's halftime in our Terry Phelan episode. This is the Tops Match Attack's halftime show and I'm delighted to welcome a special guest to the podcast. We are so excited to say hello to <laughs> Slovenio Football. Slovenio, how are you doing? Hi, uh, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And we should explain who you are. You uh, won our competition, which was a, a bundle of stickers, Champions League match tax stickers for the 2020-2021 season, a match tax tin and a signed Ryan Giggs 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book. So congratulations. Uh, you must have been delighted to receive that in the post all the way over in Slovenia where you live. Yes, that was wonderful. Uh, it really felt good when uh, it arrived. Um, I think also I, I recorded my reaction as well, so I think I'll upload that one day as well. Yeah, we should explain. You do a bit of YouTube, don't you? Do you want to tell our listeners uh, where they can watch your videos and, and how they can follow you on social media? Um, yeah, it's the same as uh, my Twitter. So it's Lavininho1. Uh, so I do a bit of FIFA and I also do some football stuff. So, yeah, that kind of mm. stuff. Mm. And who do you support out there in Slovenia? Uh, in Slovenia, my favorite team is uh, Maribor and other than that, uh, Barcelona, of course. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so how have you been getting on with your Champions League sticker box and book that we sent you? Uh, it was actually really good. Uh, I don't think I ever got such a small amount of uh, duplicates. Uh, so mm. it went really well. Uh, it's no, almost full. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got some swaps. So that's one of the main reasons we've invited you on to our tops segment for this episode. Richie, explain what we're going to do tonight with Slovenia. So as we've done in the last couple of episodes, uh, where Ketch and I have exchanged stickers, we still have some book to fill, and who better than Slovenia 1? The man that we know has got a load of packs of stickers that can swap with us. So what we're going to do is, Ketch is going to be flicking through the book, page by page, we'll each shout, uh, and then we'll um, we'll get Nick to shout out what he's got from each club, and hopefully... Tackle one or two more stickers. When you're ready, Ketch, do you want to open up the book to page number one 
and we'll get Nick to start shouting out what he's got. Yes, so who have you got from Real Madrid? Uh, I have Modric. No, got him. Uh, That's it from Real. Okay, to your favourite Spanish team, Nick, Barcelona. Any Barcelona players? Uh, Brightwhite, Pjanic and Busquets. Ugh, I've got all of them. Shame. Yep, me too. Shame, because obviously Brathwaite's a, a big name over in English football. Staying in Spain, any Atletico Madrid players for us? Yeah, uh, Felipe, Jimenez. Yes, I'll have him. Need. Ah, no. <laughs> so we both need Felipe. <laughs> okay. Any others? Any others? Uh, Trippier and uh, Oblak, the one that's the big one. Oh, no. No, okay. So, catch. should we toss a coin, coin for Coin toss for Felipe. Right, okay, what have I got here? I've got a 50p. Heads or tails, catch? Heads. It is heads. Oh. Yes! Okay then, <sighs> Nick, put that one to side. That one's coming to the northeast of England. We are now on Sevilla. Any Sevilla swaps? No. No. No good. To England, Liverpool. Do you have any Liverpool swaps? Uh, Henderson. No. no. Uh, Trent. No. And uh, Wijnaldum. Yes, Wijnaldum! I'll have one Alden. Come on. <laughs> Man City. Uh, Man City. Um, Walker. Nope. And Ake. Yes. Ake. Oh, I, I Ake. need Ake as well. Now, are we tossing another coin or do I get Ake because yeah. you've got Felipe? No. Oh, it's a coin toss situation every time. All right, go on then. What are you calling? I'll go tails this time. Heads. Get in there. Ah. Right then, Nathan Aki. Good boy. Right. right Next, Man United players. All right. Uh, Greenwood? No. Yes, I'll have Greenwood, please. McTominay? Yes, I need him. Yes. yes. Okay, coin toss for McTominay. <laughs> Any others? Um, Maguire? No. And Juan Bissaka? No. Okay. No. Right, here we go. Toy coin toss. toss for Maguire. Right, go on the catch. What are you calling? I'll go Tails. It is Tails. Damn it. Yes. Okay. Chelsea players, Nick. Any Chelsea swaps? Uh, Kovacic and no. Pulisic. No, no good. Nah. We move to Juve. Any Juventus swaps for us? Uh, only Rabio. Oh, no. Nah, I've got him. I need the Juve badge. I'm never going to get it at this rate. Okay. Inter. Inter, uh, Lukaku and Martinez. Got them both. Yep, same. Atalanta. Only Zapata, the big one. Nah, got him. Lazio. Uh, Milinkovic, Savic and Correa. Ah, I need Correa. I need Correa too. Oh, catch, are you joking? Fucking <laughs> Right, here we go. What are you calling? Heads. Tails. Ah! Perfect. Okay. Bayern Munich. I need one player to complete Bayern Munich. Okay, I have Tolisa. No. Hernandez. And Sane. No. Damn it. Who do you need, Ketch? Boateng. Oh, I need Xerxy. Right. I need two Dortmund players. Ketch, I gave you Boateng last week. You obviously haven't uh, made a note of that terrible admin from you. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll press on. Yeah. <laughs> Dortmund. Uh, only Rice, the big one. Oh, no. Nah, I got him. No good. No. Leipzig. Orban. Nope. Got him. Alright. Munching Gladbach. Uh, none. Nope. Wow. PSG. Uh Mbappé. 
Mm, no, good one. But got him. Marseille? Uh, I have Marquinhos as well. Uh, from oh, no. No, no, no. Don't need him. I have Tovan and Radonic. No for me. Stad Ren. Uh, Rafinha and Kamavinga. No, not no good for me. Zenit. Uh, Makkev. Nope. Locomotive Moscow. Otavia. No. This is hard. No, we're a bad runner. He's gone south. Porto. Um, Dili. Nope. Okereke. Nope. Shrivers. Uh, Diata. And that's it. Oh God, this is horrendous. That was Porto. Oh no, that was Club Bruges. Oh my God. Porto was Porto. Uh, just Otavia. Otavia. Nah, got him. Let's do Bruges now. Um, Shrivers. Diata. Uh, Okereke. And Dili. No. Nope. <laughs> what a bad run. Shakhtar. Uh, Shakhtar Moraes. Tyson. Ismaili. And Krivzo. No. Oh, wounded. Um, Istanbul Bashikte. Uh, Epureanu. Nope. Uh, Dimbaba. Chadli and Alexic. No. Ajax. Um, Dest and... Yes. yes. I'll have Dest. Yes. Serginio, Dest and any other Ajax? I need Dest as well. Oh, coin toss. Uh, Ekelenkamp and Promise, the big one. Got those. Right. But we'll, we'll coin toss for Dest. Go and catch. Heads. Heads it is. Yes. Great record with the coin. Great. Well, I'll send these over to you. I look forward to receiving your swaps and congratulations again for winning our prize bundle. Hope you enjoyed it and let's keep in touch. Thank you for the bundle as well and for inviting me and I'll see you later. So let's move on to Chelsea, Terry. That move came about in November 95. What happened there? How come you ended up leaving your boyhood club? Well, I, it wasn't me. I got sold, to tell you the truth. Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember just... I, I, I pulled my hamstring, uh, to tell you the truth. I'd, I'd, I'd been injured and I was just getting back. You know, the staff was getting me back. And uh, I don't know. I remember just... Uh, I remember walking down the hallway and the chairman pulled me in. He says, we're selling you. I said, sorry. You know, and I, I, I mean, I, was, I, I think I was going to the changing room from the treatment room. He says, oh, we're selling you. Uh, I said, really? I said, you know, why? Like, you know, what you know, what have I done? I've been, you know, I'm injured. I've been playing well. I've played well since I've been there. I can honestly say, at Man City, I probably played one bad game, and maybe because I maybe I had a slight injury or something like that. Uh, and I think that was against. I think that was against. Might have been against Wimbledon down at Sellers Park or or Crystal Palace, but you know, I, and I don't know why I got sold. I think it was because somebody come in and offered a million pounds, uh, struggling financially. You know, I don't think they particularly had their left back to go in there. You know, I was doing well. And I thought, you know, I, I told him I wanted to stay. Uh, and the chairman got me in and the manager said, no, we're, we're, they, never give me a, they never give me a reason. They just said, we're selling you. 
you know, uh, do you want to go? I said, well, if you don't want to keep me, then I'm going to have to go, haven't I? You know, because I don't want to be sat in the stands. You know, I'm playing for Ireland, uh, doing ever so well. I don't want to be sat in the stands and I'm and, and, and watching from the stands. And that's not having an ego or anything like that. Uh, because that I wasn't meant to do that, you know, and I, I thought I did well at Manchester City uh, for the three years I was there. Was it difficult then moving from your hometown back down to London, mid, middle of the season, new manager, new teammates? The manager, of course, was Glenn Hoddle. What was this period like for you? I think it was this. It was this, probably one of the saddest days of, of my footballing career. Forget losing uh, major games. Uh, it, it was so sad and I don't think I really got over it, to tell you the truth, if I'm really honestly. Uh, it was really, I, I, you know, it didn't sink in well. It, it wasn't right. And, uh, but, you know, Glenn said, listen, I'm building something down here, Terry. Uh, <clears throat> this is going to be great, what I'm building. You know, we're going to have a lot of foreigners coming in. We're going to bring the players in, what, what you know, can fit and adapt to my style, uh, <clears throat> which was a 3-5-2 a system Glenn wanted to play. I come down and I says, look, if, if Manchester City, I, I wouldn't say Manchester City, if the, if the owner and the manager doesn't want somebody, then what's the point of staying? You know, I felt sorry for the fans. Yeah, down to Chelsea, new people already down there. Dennis Wise knew the lads already down there. It was easy for me to settle in. I'd already been in London and off five years, so that was no problem. And I looked around, and when you sat around that dressing room, Mark Hughes come at the time, like we've just mentioned, all them wonderful players, uh, Gianfranco Zola, Viali, Rude Hullet, Di Matteo, Frank LaBeouf come, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, this could be, we could actually, uh, we could actually do something here. This, this could be right. This, is, this probably fits and, and, and suits me, because I know Chelsea tried to buy me when Ian Portfield was there, when I think Vinny was there and I think Dennis Wise went and Dave Besson round about that era. I think Portfield was there. I'm not, I'm not too uh, sure. So, yeah, it was great. I enjoyed it. Stamford Bridge, played there on numerous occasions. Fans was absolutely brilliant. I was electrifying again, up and down the wing uh, and really enjoyed my time there. You played under some incredibly iconic 1990s managers you know, right from uh, Bobby Gould to Joe Kinnear to Alan Ball, Peter Reid, Glenn Hollow, and then Rude Hullet comes in and is a play a player manager. You must have been thinking, "Wow," because he was the iconic player of the eighties and nineties, wasn't he? Ah, he was. One of I mean, let's be honest. Uh, playing for Holland, playing for the great AC Milan side, we all watched. Don't forget on that Sunday afternoon, we all wanted to be Italians and we all wanted to have our, you know. Uh, lattes and, uh, you know, coffees with a little bit of grappa in it and all that lot, you know. So we all wanted to be, you know, wanted to read the Castetto paper and, we, you know, we all wanted to be Italian. It was great, wasn't it? It was fantastic. We all sat in for that, for that Sunday of AC Milan. It was brilliant. Uh, and obviously, you know, <laughs> uh, rude with his dreadlocks, you know, uh, Remember Dennis Wise used to call him the Yeti and things like that. But you know, Rude. To tell you the truth, when when I want to tell you something now, when Rude was playing, it was absolutely fantastic. There was no problem at all, and you know, he he, he sort of like he changed dramatically. And I'm on about dramatically. There was a there was a, a little bit of a, a change in him, and you know, I remember picking up an injury, uh, and I was playing particularly well. Picked up an injury a couple of weeks, and you know, you expect to be back in the side and. 
he didn't put me back in the side and I'm, I'm like, oh, what's going on here? I'm doing all right. Uh, and I'm thinking, he had Graham, Rips, Graham Ricks with him and I'm thinking, is this the right manager for Chelsea? Is, where's the experience? Where's that managerial experience? You're dealing with boys and that. And but he had great rich with him, and it was it was it, it was great. There was no problem at all. Uh, and as a player, you want to play. You know, I don't know if I could have played in this day and age with all that rotation. I would have been probably crying every every minute. I just want to play. I tell you what, if Solskjaer is moaning about uh, four games in as many days, I would have loved. I, I'd, I'd be loved to be playing four games in as many days. That wouldn't bother me. By now, it's ninety six, ninety seven which is the season that our podcast is, is centred around. You only played a handful of games in this period. Was that a combination of rude not fancying yet and injury? Yeah, dead right. 100% right. I can't, I'm not going to moan about it. I, I don't think I actually played badly. You know, it was just uh, one or two niggles I, was, I, I, I picked up. Uh, like I said of you in, in the earlier uh, interview, I trained at 100%. You know, and I trained as I played, and maybe that was the reason why I didn't like having days off. Uh, uh, you know, I, I like training, and if I, if, I, if I wasn't training on a Wednesday, I'd go with Jenny Archer and train with her at the athletics track and things like that. So maybe I didn't listen to my body uh, enough. And don't forget, we didn't have the sports science the lads have got now, and and things like that. But no, don't no disrespect to the, you know. Uh, the physios and that we had then. But yeah, I, I believe that's probably right uh, at the end of the day. You, you played 90 minutes for Chelsea on the 28th of December, 96. And by New Year's Day, you were in the Everton team. Yeah, amazing that. I remember that. Yeah, it was happened so fast. Joe Royal was looking for somebody. He said, look, Andy Incliffe is, is injured. You know, do you fancy coming up? And I'm like, well... Listen, I knew Chelsea was on to bigger and better things. I already knew that. But did I want to be a, part, a bit part player and then wonderful nights, what they had? No, I wanted to be on the field playing. And that was Terry feeling. Uh, and I've said that at other clubs as we go along the years. And, you know, I went to Everton. I knew they were struggling and it was a challenge. And I thought, I'm up for the challenge. Managers bought me for another million quid. I'm up for the challenge. Let me go in there and, and do well. And... Started off flying, absolutely flying. I had the Everton supporters off the seats with my displays. I remember going in and picking manager, man of the matches up week in and week out. And it, and it was great. And I thought, let's go for it then. You know, let's go for it. Uh, let's get things done. And I, I, I fully enjoyed it. You know, we had great players there. Duncan Ferguson, Gary Speed, God rest his uh, soul. Dave Watson, you know, Neville Southall. There was people like Anders Limpar there, Earl Barrett there, Paul Rideout was there, Andy Kinchelskis was there. <laughs> you look at the... And that's only some of them, you know, uh, who was there. Uh, so it, it, it was a great time to be going. And there was a lot of pressure on uh, the manager at that time, Joe Royal. And, I mean, listen, I just went and said, Joe, I'll give you 100%. That's why you brought me, and that's what I did, and it, it 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 was great to be there. And like like I says, them fans they deserve more. They just deserve more. Mm. So Royal has signed you. Obviously, Joe Royal's a, a, a club legend, having guided them to the FA Cup in '95. Uh, by March '97, he's resigned. So, so what is it that you did? And would you say it was all your fault? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. Maybe uh, I don't know, Jeff. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, I just don't know. I just don't know. I've never seen it. I've never seen it coming, Jeff. Uh, no, I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I'm going a bit red and all. I tell you the truth. Uh, I'll tell you, well, the form dipped. So I think from December to the end of the season, Everton only won four league games and stayed up with, with 42 points. So obviously they struggled, not through the I don't know. I think, it was a, I think it was a lot of, uh, I think it was a lot of reasons, maybe. Uh, I, I can't, I really can't put my finger on it. All I, I know is that we tried to go out there and give our best for the fans and the fans never let us down. And But, you know, we never went down at the end of the day, you know, we stayed up. We battled to stay up, uh, and I'm not one for celebrating. If you, if you know you're struggling and you're staying up and running round the streets and celebrating with fans and all that lot, you know that that's not for me. You know you've let the fans down if you're struggling and you finish where yeah. you shouldn't have finished. So, you know, we, I, I don't know whether it was a, uh, we had a lot of injuries. Uh, main, the main players was injured a lot. I don't know about that. Because the Everton faithful, like the Man City faithful, the Chelsea, no, all fans are fantastic. Whether they have a go at you, if they're having a go at you, they're having a go at you for a reason, to tell you the truth. Moving on to the late 90s then, Terry, you signed for Fulham. They were building something interesting down in back down in London. Was it Keegan who signed you or was it Paul Bracewell? Paul Bracewell, to tell you the truth, because like I says, uh, I had the chance to go to Crystal Palace, but Crystal Palace was struggling financially then. And I remember Stevie Cobble saying, Terry, listen, we're struggling financially. You know, I'm not, I, I don't want to offer you something and, and embarrass the club. You know, we want to offer you something decent. We can't do that. I know what you're worth. I know how you've been with us. You've been absolutely brilliant. I, you know, it was fantastic at Palace. I, I enjoyed it. Don't forget me telling you earlier on, I could have went to Palace for two and a half million. So it probably wasn't right. Uh, and I was gutted because then I went back, obviously I went back to Everton and then finished it off uh, Everton and ended up signing for Fulham uh, under Paul Bracewell, another Evertonian. There you go, Evertonians. You know, uh, Peter Reid, Paul Bracewell, Joe Royal, you know. So it, it, it just shows you, doesn't it? You know, there must be that connection there. So, yeah, Bracey coming. I think Rufus Brevett was injured. Uh, I think he'd done his cruciate ligament, Rufus, and he was looking for a left-back. He didn't want me at the start, uh, but he, he knew Rufus's injured injury was going to be a little bit more. So he got me down there, had me medical, and, uh, yeah, I said, yeah, I'll come down. He knew London, I knew London. We had some great players down there and all. If you, if you look at the players we had down there, Andrew Melville, Chris Coleman, myself... Well, I don't know if I was a great player. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> uh, Lee Clark was there. Oh, uh, Louis Sahar wasn't there. He come. He, he come. Riedler, Carlines Riedler was there. Barry Ells was there. You know, you could go on and on. You know, Steve Finnan, the young fullback. Steve Finnan was there. So you could go on. Uh, goalkeeper Mike Welch was it Northern Irish lad goalkeeper. Some some Mike Taylor. Mike Taylor, yeah. Uh, so you look, you look at the players. Most of them was international players, you know. And we, I just don't think they was fit enough. The lads, I just don't think they was fit enough. And I just don't think Paul knew his best side, to tell you the truth. But I just don't think they was fit enough. And I, I remember, I think he was playing a three-five-two to try and accommodate players. And sometimes you can't do that. You have to, you have to, you have to just 
play the way you feel you're gonna you're gonna play and uh and I, I, I fully enjoyed that film. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. You know, we was playing well, played well, scored a couple of goals and all. Uh, for that reporter back in the day, yeah, I did score a couple of goals for Fulham. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Scored a couple of goals. Actually scored, I think it was one or two games in. Uh, I scored and we won the game. They hadn't won a game in probably five or six games. I've come on and uh, arrived at the back post, balling from Lee Clark, put it in the back of net. So I remember that fondly, but some great times at, uh, at Fulham. Terry, obviously we're all about the 90s, so we've reached the end of the decade there and you went on to play for Sheffield United and you had a spell in America and then New Zealand. But one thing we have to ask you about is your international career. You played 42 times for your country. I'm from the North East, so is Richie. We're both huge admirers of Jack Charlton who had spells at Middlesbrough and Newcastle. Can you remember your first call-up to the Irish team and meeting Jack for the first do you know, time? Do you know what? For... for... The amount of interviews I've done, and I'm going to tell you the story. I, I could be, I, I could have bought London to tell you the truth of this story. Uh, and this is this is a classic. This is the the classics of all classics. So, you know, I'd battle through youth teams, under 21s B team, and I'm thinking, am I ever going to get a call up? You know, and you you're playing and you're watching Ireland playing World Cups, and you're thinking, am I ever going to get in that team? What what what, what am I doing wrong? Am I, am I doing something wrong? And uh, anyway. The phone rings, you know the old phones, don't you? You know, we didn't have mobile. I think mobiles was just about coming out then. I don't know, I had a car phone, so I don't know if I was sat in the car or it was actually in the house. I think it was in the house anyway. And the phone rings. And I think it was a Saturday night. I just played. I think it was a Saturday night and uh, the phone rings. Uh, uh, young Mr. Phelan. Yes, hello, who's this? Young Mr. Phelan, this is Morissette. This is Jack Charlton's... Uh, Assistant here for the Republic of Ireland first team. I says, yeah, no chance. No chance. This is, this is not. Why is he, Vinny, Fash, put the phone down. I put the phone down. Ring, ring, ring. Pick the phone up again. I said, stop messing about, lads. Stop, stop acting the goal. Because what they used to do, they used to ring you up and uh, act as if there was a reporter and to get you to say things. And, they'd, you know, they'd... They'd have little comments and things like that. And I wasn't falling for that. I was too smart for that. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not falling for that. Uh, young Mr. Phelan, uh, this is Morris here, Republic of Ireland uh, assistant uh, to Jack Charlton. You've got to be on a plane on Monday. Uh, we've sorted the ticket out for you. <clears throat> You're going to be playing on the Wednesday. We're travelling over to Hungary. I said, Vinny, I said, I'm not having it. I know it's one of you's messing about. And I put the phone down. Third time it rung, picked it up. He says, young Mr. Phelan, if you put this phone down one more time, you'll never play for Ireland again. I says, really, Vinny? Why is it? He said, no, 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 no. Now I'm telling you, Mr. Phelan, this is Morris Setters. And if you put the phone down, you're not playing for Ireland. You'll never play for Ireland again. That'll be it. We'll finish it there. I never put that phone down. I listened to him. He said, this is where you've got to be. This is how you're going. You're coming over with us. Bang. Imagine if I would have put the phone down. Hey, so you know it was a, it was a it was a great period, and I'm I'm glad I never put the phone down. And I was on that plane, I was on that plane at uh, at London Heathrow. Uh, was it London Heathrow or Gatwick? One of the two. And I was going over to uh, to Dublin and meeting a group of lads who don't forget I'd played against many of them. But being in that uh, room with a group of lads who was like family, and then this big Geordie man comes up with his flat cap on, big red rosy cheeks, and he says, hey, wee man, 
you finally made it. I heard about the phone calls. Get her in here, <laughs> have a cup of tea, get your breakfast. It was absolutely brilliant. Big Jackie so man. Was, yeah, this was September 91. Do you remember your debut well? I do. I, I remember it very well. We was playing in Hungary and I, I remember Mick McCarthy coming up to me. I think I was rooming with Roy, young Roy Keane then. And I think Roy Keane was in transition whether he was going to go to uh, Blackburn or Manchester United from uh, from uh, Notts Forest. And he was saying, you know, we'd have chats. What do you think, Tell? What do you think, where where do you think I should go? I said, Roy, if, it, if, it, if, it's, if, if you want, it's got to be Manchester United, hasn't it? You know, uh, but Roy was great. And I remember Mick McCarthy coming up to me and going, we man, don't worry about it. We'll look after you tonight. I said, Mick, I think I can look after myself out on that field. You know, I was playing for Wimbledon. Everybody knew me. You know, and you felt a little bit, not, I wouldn't say downgraded, but, you know, you know you're playing with lads with Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United. You know, and you're thinking, wow. But no, I went on, played that night. I, I think we won the game 2-1 of them, of them not... Not wrong there. I think it was 2-1. Played the full, I think it was a full 90 minutes. I may have come off maybe with 10 minutes to go. I'm not too sure. Uh, and that was the start of it then. That was the start of a, a wonderful career with uh, Republic of Ireland. Mm. You were, of course, selected for the the squad for the World Cup 94. Can you? Was that a special phone call, getting the call up, or did you expect it? Did I expect to get called up? I never expect anything of anybody. So, you know... With the way football is and 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 the ups and downs in it, you know, uh, I never expected to get a call in the first place to play for my country, but it come. Uh, but uh, you know, you never say never. It's still a long season, isn't it? You're still playing. You're still playing for your clubs. You never know of injuries and that. I was very lucky. Uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. You know, when you name the squad and you're getting called up to play in a World Cup. I first watched the World first World Cup was. N- I think it was 1978. I think it was in Argentina. Uh, the great Mario Kempes, Ozzy Ardeles and all that. Like, so to play in a World Cup uh, for your country is the pinnacle of any boy's career. And uh, it was magnificent, you know, from day one uh, till I finished playing for Ireland. It, it, it was great. It was absolutely great. But, you know, in football, never expect anything and probably expected too much. Uh and you get let down and, you know, you've got to be able to pick yourself up and dust yourself down. But for me, uh, playing for Ireland for nine, ten years was absolutely fantastic in the World Cup. Well, wow, we just missed out on the, the Euros 92. They played in 1990 World Cup. They played in 1988, uh, 1988 the Euros. So Ireland was on a real crest of a wave at this present time. It was one of my most favourite World Cups, USA 94, and there was so much focus on Ireland because England hadn't made it, no Scotland, no Wales, no Northern Ireland. And it was in America where they were hoping to soccer was going to break, etc., etc. We all sat around in your hotel watching the open ceremony when Diana Ross missed her penalty at the same end as Roberto Baggio. <laughs> she was. How do you remember all this? Are you reading something? Because I, you know, sometimes I can't remember. Sometimes I can't remember my own name. Never mind about that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, I don't. I don't know what we was doing. We. I don't know. Mate. Listen. To tell you the truth, guys. Uh, you know, you don't want to be in your hotel. I think we may have went out for a little trip or something like that and come back and, and, and caught the game. Uh, it's an awful long time ago, but uh, obviously you were talking about Roberto Baggio. Oh, what a player he was. But then playing against Italy 
and 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 uh, the first game in a giant stadium was just just amazing. And I, I'm going to tell you another little story here. Uh, if you look at the lineup at the start of the game, there's somebody not in that picture. And if you can guess who's not in that picture, okay then, you might get a surprise. Is Terry Feeling not in the picture? There you go. You get your surprise. That's Terry Feeling. What happened is, as he's just about to take the picture, I've come away because I wasn't comfortable with my boots. I was just, psychologically, I just wasn't comfortable with them. So I changed them at the last minute. I said, no, I'm not comfortable. I changed them at the last minute. And as I was changing them, and coming back on, they'd already took the photo. Instead of taking two or three photos, they'd already took the photo. So I wasn't on that. So the Irish, the Irish uh, people do turn around and say, did we, did we beat uh, Italy with 10 men? Because Terry Phelan was it in that photo. <laughs> but honestly, just on that, I've got the, the Italy team that day. The back four was Maldini, Baresi, Costa Curta and Tassotti, who was the person that kept Maldini out of the right-back slot at AC Milan and was the reason Maldini became a left-back, like yourself. That day, what was Jack Charlton's pre-match team talk like? Because you were just huge underdogs going into the game. Go and get them, lads. Go and get them. Just go and get them. Don't be scared of them. Don't go and get them. But listen, before that, the, 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 uh, the build-up to the, the World Cup, we played uh, Germany and Germany. We beat them 2-0. We'd played Holland and Holland. We beat them 1-0. And Jack turns around and says, after that Germany game, we beat them 2-0 in Germany. And I, I don't know the last team who'd beat Germany actually in Germany. And they'd have been in a training camp for about eight weeks. Uh, I don't know the last team to beat Germany in Germany back then. And it was like, we beat, I think we beat them 2-1 or 2-0. Uh, and Jack come in, he went, guys, he went, away, lads. He went, what are you doing? And we're like, we're looking at him, he goes, what, what do you think you're doing, man? And we're looking at him, we're like, we've just won the game 2-0. He went, no, 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 you're peaking too early. We've got the World Cup coming, you're peaking too early, guys. Come on, save it, save it. But, you know, we could, we could, we could play against the best of teams and, and, and on our day beat anybody, you know. But it was great, uh, giant stadium playing against Italy. It tells you about the back four, the midfield they had and... No, we had to go in there and play. We played, I think it was a 4-5-1 uh, formation. Packed the midfield, condensed the midfield and let them go round the outside. <clears throat> the reason we did let them go round the outside is because we had full-backs in there, Dennis Irwin and myself. So they was going to get no joy there. So they had to try and come through the middle and they wasn't getting a lot of joy there. So, you know, <clears throat> at the end of the day, we've really frustrated them. And obviously, you see the iconic goal. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. What a, what a brilliant night in, for me. Uh, in a World Cup and winning the first game uh, for Ireland against Italy of all teams in front of 100,000 people in, in front of uh, the giant stadium. So it was great, yeah. Please tell me as a left-back that you swapped shirts with Maldini after the game. No, I never. Because don't forget, he was on the other side, wasn't he? And I, 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 I swapped with, uh, I think, Daniel, Daniel Massaro. Were you aware of the scenes back home then when the tournament was set alight by the win against Italy? Oh, yeah, I think not just back home. I think uh, it sent shockwaves through the world of football. Let, let's be honest, uh, not just in Ireland, but everywhere. I think, you know, maybe on the English side and all, maybe they was rooting for us and all, uh, to tell the truth. And it was, it was great, you know, to go to the World Cup, it means you're one of the best in the world. And to get through to the last 16, you know, you know the six best 
best team, the 16th best team in the world. That just tells you something. You know, you can always take it away from you. Yeah, we'd love to have made the semi-finals. We'd love to have won it. But we had a belief that we could go all the way here. We had a belief we could go all the way. And, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, I think the heat, the way we played and all, it was very intense the way we played. It was 100 miles an hour. We didn't let up. Uh, and I think that the, the heat and caught up with us more than anything else. We are searching for shinies, the podcast. The shiny stickers, you'll remember, were the most coveted ones when you were collecting and doing your book. Who is your shiny player? So this is the best player you've ever played with or against in your career. The, well, the best player... i tell you what, the best player i ever played against got to be Alan Shearer. Yes. It's got to be that. It's got to be Alan Shearer. No, it's got to be because you know Al Al could drift out into them wide areas and he was a nuisance, and he was he was he was he was strong. He was aggressive. He was all elbows. You know, he'd barge into you and it made life so uncomfortable for you. And it just wasn't that sit down the middle. He'd roam out to the left. He'd roam out to the right. And when he run at you, he just whip balls in and all. And he was always chirping. Al always had a smile on his face. Always chirping. And I remember when I first played against Al, he was playing for Southampton. I think I, I think I was playing for Wimbledon at that time. I th- I'm not too sure, was it Wimbledon or was it Man City? I think it might have been Wimbledon. I don't know if it was Sellers Park or Plough Lane. And, and, and he come and you could already see that this lad was strong as an ox and eye for goal. You could already see then, but there was it. Mark Hughes was another one, Sparky, who ended up playing at... Uh, uh, Chelsea with I've never seen a better striker of the ball ever than Matt Hughes volleying balls he was as strong as an ox but a couple there uh, but played with wow I've, well, I've mentioned a million names there uh, who I've played with you know what I, I, and I'll say uh, Zola wasn't in that was he Zola wasn't in there that sticker he, he, he arrived later that season I believe he didn't have a Chelsea sticker I'm uh, talking about. Can I go international and all there? Yeah, of course. I've got to say it's got to be Paul McGrath and Roy Keane. Mm. Got to be. Did Roy Keane? Did Roy Keane have a sticker at you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you guys, as, as did Paul McGrath as well. I think. I think he's in there. Yeah, they're both in. It's been amazing listening to you to chat. We were delighted when we made contact with you. Your email back to me was so polite, Terry, that I was wondering if it was actually you. I was like, this doesn't sound like a lad from Salford. Listen, we all, we, we you know, as we get on, we, you know, we, we, we find ourselves in different jobs and, and dealing with different people. And, you know, you learn an awful lot. And to tell you the truth, I've always thrown myself into challenges uh, and I've never been afraid of a challenge. I've travelled the world. I'm in India at this present time. Like I said, we played in America, Charleston Battery and... Uh, Went to India, went to New Zealand, uh, learned my stuff over there, which was great for six years. India for a couple of years, then back to England to do a bit more learning. And I've been in India now for seven years. I've been doing a lot for Sony Sony Sports India, and now I'm technical director for South United Football Club in Bangalore. Was formerly technical director for Kerala Blasters. Uh, and, you know, you, you talk about Indian football and we talk about the Kerala Blasters. They used to have 65,000 fans for their home games. The 10th largest fan base in the world, by the way. 65,000 fans. Every home game. 60 to 65,000. We could have built two stadiums, uh, to tell the truth. So I've had some wonderful insight to different parts of the game. 
dealing with different people, ups and downs, playing, non-playing, injuries. I think the injuries, and this is for any player out there, you know, if you are injured, you know, keep strong, keep your mind strong. You can get back. I did it 18 months being out injured. You can get back, you know, and there's, there's a lot of stuff. We have to take care of players, especially the younger ones now. We really have to take care of them as coaches, you know, because it's not easy. It's not easy. And you've got one person who can tell you it here from growing up on the streets. It's, it's not an easy game. It's, it, the luxuries are there, but you have to work for the luxuries. It's not easy. It's a tough old game to perplex you the level for 15, 20 years. It's a tough old game. So if anyone's out there listening to that, all these younger ones, put the effort in, keep yourself safe, wear their masks, wash their hands and, uh, and, and enjoy life. That was Terry Phelan, our first guest to have transferred from one Premiership club to another during the 96-97 season. And unlike Chelsea that season, we really appreciated having him. More great Crazy Gang stories to add to those told by Neil Sullivan. But, catch, I'm conscious of time and I've got a great competition to kick off. So prior to that, we have some news. Sadly, this is our last episode of Season 1. That's right, listeners. We're going to take a pre-season break, like the players. We are going to regroup, have a little hiatus, and we're going to bank, hopefully, a dozen more fantastic interviews with players from the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book over the summer. We'll be back around about August, in time for the start of the new season. We have interviewed players from nine of the 20 clubs. Our aim is to interview at least one player from each of the 20. So we're missing 11. We're missing a Villa player, Blackburn, Coventry, Derby, Everton, Leicester, Liverpool, Man United, Sheffield, Sunderland and Tottenham. So our goal over the summer is to connect with one of those players from each of the clubs and interview them. So we're not going anywhere. We're just banking some more fantastic 1997-related content. And in the meantime, Richie, you've got a little summer game to keep us amused with, haven't you? 90s-inspired. I do, yeah. So I've mentioned on um, a previous podcast that I'd found a pull-out from the sun um, called Football Football from the summer of 1996. Original name. And at the back of that... Yep, Football Football, <laughs> exactly. At the back of that pull-out is the Sun Dream Team. So this is the fantasy football of that time. Okay. Oh, from 1996-97? Yes, here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. I thought we could all have a go at it. Yeah. So here's the idea of competition. Me, you, some friends and family, and some of our listeners have a go at picking the best team we can following the rules that the Sun have provided, which we'll obviously share on social media. And then what we'll do is at the start of next season, when we get our first guest on or maybe our second episode so people have got a chance to do it, we'll present our two teams and maybe a couple of others that we've picked out as the best and get our guest to pick the best Amazing. team and then come up with some kind of reward Amazing. for that winner. So if you like your fantasy football, fantasy yeah. football is so popular now, like 10 million people playing the Premier League game, we're rolling it back 25 years to 96, mm-hmm. 97. We'll scan and yeah. upload the images, all the names, all the players, all the prices from 96, mm-hmm. 97. We'll put that on our website. We'll put that on our social media. Get your head into it. Pick 11 and we'll see who can come up with the best team. Yeah, let me give you a little taste of what's to come here. So there's a, f- a few okay. funny little bits and pieces that have changed, obviously, over the last 25 years. So namely, you only pick 11 players. Mm-hmm. Inexplicably, goalkeepers and defenders, I'm looking at last season's points, the majority of them have got minus points. So if you concede, you get minus points. If you concede multiple goals, you get goals, you get further minus points. If you don't play, you get minus points. If you're an unused sub, you get minus points. 
That's only for defenders and goalkeepers. Midfielders and strikers are fine. <laughs> so you look at the strikers. So, for example, Ian Wright's registered 102 points last season. If I go to an Arsenal defender, Tony Adams, minus 18. So it's, <laughs> I'd read the rules before you pick your team. That's, that's the first thing I'd say. You get 35 million to spend. And you can only have three players per club. Thirty-five million. Yeah. So I've prior to the podcast, I've had a go at picking a team, as is my wife. Okay. So I'm just going to just give you a flavour as to what they look like and see what you we, think. We, we should we should say we're not going to rigorously follow the points system. We're just going to see who on paper has the best looking team. Correct. Oh yeah. I'm not looking. We're not, we're, yeah. We're not going to be digging <laughs> through points. Pick, no. pick a team worth you know at most thirty-five million, and then we'll see whoever our guest fancies yeah. the best. So here's my team: Nigel Martin and Ian Hart from Leeds. If you remember, oh, e. George Graham comes in and they get loads of clean sheets. So, a couple of good picks. We've then got Mark Wright from Chelsea. Uh, Mark Wright. It is Mark Wright, isn't it? Yeah. From Liverpool. From Liverpool. Yeah. I was thinking of what's it, what's his name from Crawley? Towie. Yeah, Mark Wright. same. Mark Not Wright. Same player. Of course, Terry Feeling from Chelsea. Yes. And Lee Dixon from Arsenal. So, that's three of our guests I've got in our back four. Okay. You've got the choice of either having a three man midfield or a four man midfield. I've gone with a three-man midfield of Beckham, Merson, and of course, the PFA Player of the Season, Janino. I like that. There's a lot of flair in that there midfield. There is. There is up top, Dion Dublin, Fabrizio Ravanelli, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Okay. A lot of well, goals. You won't win the competition because there's no Newcastle players in there, but it's a great effort, and well, I'm looking forward to having a go myself. Well, let me give you my wife's team. Yeah. Okay. Ian Walker from Spurs, Stuart Pearce from Forest, Robbie Elliott, Newcastle. Yes! Sol Campbell, then of Spurs, of course. The young Sol Campbell. Martin Keown, Arsenal, who's worth one million, by the way. Um, Gary Speed, absolute quality in the field, accompanies Legend. Ray Parler and Vinnie Jones, who I think is in there because of budgetary reasons. <laughs> she also has Dublin and, and Solskjaer up top, but we didn't compare notes, but she's gone for Robbie Fowler. That's decent. It's a good team. So, yeah, it's exciting to do this, um, to just mm. flick through these. So, as I say, we'll get it all on social media, pick the best team you can, and um, I can't wait to see some entries coming in because this is great oh, fun. Amazing. You know, write down your teams. I'm going to have a go. It's going to be fantastic fun doing that over the summer. While we're on hiatus, banking, hopefully, a dozen more interviews. Yeah, send, send your teams to us, and, of course, I've got a spreadsheet on the go where I'll save it all so we can reel it off when it comes to, yeah. when it, comes to it. And just picture the scene if... For example, Stig Inga Bjornaby is our first interview back and he picks your team as his favourite. Oh, imagine. Think of them. Think of this. That's straight on the CV, isn't it? <laughs> Try and get him to send you a message or something like that. <laughs> Cost a fortune messages like that. Okay, so that's our plan, our goal, our project for the summer. In the meantime, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. If you know a player from the 1997 sticker book, we need 11 more from one of these clubs. Villa, Blackburn, Coventry, Derby. Everton, Leicester, a Liverpool player. We need a Man United player. I think that's going to be tough, but we're going to try and get one. We need a Chef Wed player, a Sunderland player, and a Tottenham player. And then we have completed the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker. Help us get there, listener. Do you support any of these clubs? Hit social media, hit the forums, support us clubs, spread the words. Check our website, searchingforshinies.com. I've scanned the entire book there. And if you connect us with a player who had a sticker in the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book, we will send you a prize. Don't mm. be worried about we'll, that. We'll send you a player. <laughs> we'll send we'll send Terry Phelan round to say thank you. Mm. 
Do you have any random 90s football memorabilia? Keep those coming in. We love them. Email us pictures or tag us on social media. We are at the Shiny Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Don't be afraid to give any uh, international flavour to that because there's an international tournament happening this summer. So send us those through as well. And please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps us, honestly, helps us out a lot. That So if you've never given a podcast a rating on iTunes before, why not break your duck with us and tell us how it feels? <laughs> and if you've got any mates who would appreciate what we're doing here at Searching for Shinies, tell them we exist. Put a link to us in your football WhatsApp groups. Tell your family. We'd love that. Spread the 1997 love. And lastly, but not leastly, and above all else, if you do one thing this summer, Slovenio, yeah, keep it shiny.